Hello Heroes, Scott the DM here. One quick note before we start the final episode of this podcast. I am so humbled and grateful that you've come on this journey with me, and if you're the kind of dedicated listener who's actually going to sit through an hour and a half of D&D geeks geeking out about their prior geekery, you deserve a reward. So stay tuned for the very end of this podcast, and if you are one of the few, one of the true blue listeners who have stuck with us through thick and thin, well, I'll tell you what you get. In the meantime, enjoy this postcast. Aru! tucked away, but there's still more beer to drink. It's time for a postcast, wherein the players chat about role-playing, about podcasts, about private jokes, about this and or that. I'm going to roll all d20s I have and see if they all come up as bad as they have been. <laughs> you guys teamed up for the worst combined rolls in Dungeons & Dragons history. Seven, eight... 3, 11, 14, 15. Hey! So, 14, 8, but also a natural 20, which I've never rolled once in this entire campaign. I I specifically got myself some uh, uh, at least one critical feat, uh, but never, ever got a chance to use it. <laughs> What is the one thing a barbarian is supposed to be good for? Rolling occasional criticals. <laughs> I feel like you've rolled criticals. I, I'm not going to go back and listen to every single <laughs> episode to see if I can prove it, but certainly if I run into any in my, my listening, I will let you know. Right, I my do path. feel pretty confident mm. I've not rolled a critical since I got that critical feat, because I've been looking forward to using right. it for such a long time. What is the feat? Yes, what's the feat, David? What's the feat? Oh, oh it's just more damage. No. Okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can dress it up if you want. <laughs> no, we'll leave it naked. You can roll two additional weapon damage dice when determining the extra damage for a critical hit with a melee attack. Speaking of which, I quite liked 5th edition. It did feel like proper D&D again. I'm not sure that these simplified, streamlined rules, though, can bring me quite as much joy as the Pathfinder. Every time you go up a level, there's another die to roll, mm -hmm. uh, and it turns into a double-fisted thing. Yeah, There is some truth to that, yes. I also like that criticals are more common in Pathfinder, for related reasons. And of course, what happens when you roll, when you hit, roll a critical? you got to roll more dice! Sorry, guys, I value all your opinions, but... Uh, Laird and I are splitting uh, a victory beer. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, you can't partake. Uh, this is a Trappist. It's been aging in my basement since I got back from France. It's five and a half oh, years wow. old, and it's West Verhalen Twelve. Many people call this the best beer on earth. 
They both have huge boners. <laughs> I, have, oh. I have several. <laughs> I haven't heard a word you said since. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, well, guys. Cheers. So sorry I can't. I'm so I glad you I'm guys didn't get any of this. I'm glad. <laughs> so nice. All right. Uh, sorry, David, your opinions were trenchant and uh, well-received. I understand where you're coming from. As a guy who values storytelling, as you may have noticed, I find that all of those dice and all of those numbers really get in the way, especially at higher levels. Mm. Um, maybe that's just on me as a DM. Yep. It's my job to 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 find ways around that, to find ways to streamline uh, the story in spite of all that. Um, but... I certainly remember a lot of games of Pathfinder First Edition uh, where everybody at the table was in, you know, the higher levels, the double-digit levels, and the the story that we told that day was just trying to figure out a combat. Like, it was, it was really just deciding what to do and how it works. For the thing that Wizards really decided with uh, Third Edition D&D was that they wanted to bring back, uh, sorry, bring in some of the exception-based gameplay that had been so successful with them with Magic: The Gathering. Exception-based. Uh, so they, they they you have a certain a certain set of rules, mm -hmm. but then each card in Magic defi uh, explains a change in the rules, some kind of new mechanic right. that the ca the card brings, mm -hmm. uh, and so it can be quite a complicated game to keep track of. Oh yeah. So really quick to learn Magic really hard to master they decided to bring that to DD for third edition mm -hmm. and it Jones. was very successful mm -hmm. it, it it accomplished a lot of things and i think that set the mold uh pathfinder yeah. really seemed to take that on oh very much so and it's partly because they had the same market strategy as well which is splat book splat book splat book you know archetype archetype feet feet tree feet tree and and, and just keep kind of dangling stuff Fifth Ed has done comparatively little of that, although they've been at it for long enough that there are plenty of splat books. Um, but now they're about to start doing something different yet again. Apparently they want to release another edition that's not quite a new edition. They're calling it One Dungeons & Dragons. It's supposed to be backwards compatible, but also more, even more streamlined, I guess. It's vague. Uh, and they're at the playtesting stage now, so we don't really know what it's going to look like. I mean, moving forwards, I'm more than happy to try different systems. And if that means, I guess, finally giving Pathfinder 2nd Edition a try? Honestly, don't know what the reception has been to that. I'm sure Pathfinder still has tons of fans. Like, they're very dedicated. Yeah, it's definitely a direction we could explore. We'd have to get the books. I thought about 5th edition a little bit the other night, and I was laying in bed thinking about it, and I'm thinking about the, the game is fine, the rules are fine. I always wanted characters to stand out, and I don't find 5th edition gives your character the ability to stand out. You can roleplay them to stand out, hmm. but like your character right. doesn't do anything special compared to every other character in its class. Like... All the clerics yeah. are the same pretty well. You know what I mean? All the like that's what I think that's what the feet tree can do for yeah. you is give you some yeah. whatever uniqueness. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Maybe it was my the choices I made relatively early on, but I found it quite difficult for 
Dragomir to feel exceptional. Right. Yeah, I see what you mean. I think um, partly that's because I think we discovered that the ranger in 5th edition is... Sucks, yeah. It's a neuter yeah. warrior, is all yeah. it is, yeah. 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 Um, you were also trying to do a lot of things, which is not necessarily a, a bad choice. No, never but to, to be, <laughs> yeah, to be good at ranged combat, and also to be handy with a spear, to be good while you're a giant wolf, and also while you're a human. Um, so, I mean, you're, you, you ask a lot of your class. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, again, I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, I think a system should be able to provide all of that and more. So I I think part, yeah, I think part of that asking a lot of the class was about trying to sort of reach out and feel what is this class? What are the strengths? Uh And none of them really (laughs) stuck. Yeah. So I moved on. Right. And I don't know if that was a patient thing or a role-playing thing or a mm. mechanism of the game and character. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's also hard to tell from just one campaign, even the long one. Maybe yeah. Ravenloft just isn't a good campaign for Rangers, you know? In fairness, I did only play one class my entire fifth set experience. Right. right? So maybe right. I would have, if I had yeah. taken a, I don't know, no. a wizard or a warrior or something, that might have been hilarious and full of and mm, I don't think you would have found significant difference. Uh, I've played a warlock and a sorcerer. Same kind of stuff that you found with your somewhat neutered spells. Everything. It just feels to me like 5th Ed has had the serial numbers uh, scraped off filed off, which is weird, because Pathfinder was basically that, you know, it was you yeah. know, we, we can't mention Mordenkainen, but we can have everything else uh, Fifth Ed has brought Mordenkainen back in, but the the feel, the flavor of of the magic, of the spells it's all just kind of it's blander yeah. on the page, you know and again, in the spirit of keeping things light and, and uh, agile you know what I mean, like I, I do, mm-hmm. I respect that I don't know, it just didn't... If I played a, car- a cleric in this game, and mm. then two years from now we started a new game, and I played another cleric, I'm pretty sure I would end up with everything the exact same. You'd make the same choices? No! I'd, like, there's no choice. There's only, no choice. The only choice was the, at the beginning I could mm. choose my um, domain. Right. And I didn't really add much. Uh-huh. It, like, it gave uh-huh. me a few... Like, I'm a, I was a better healer than a regular cleric. Yeah. Whoopie fuck. I find that... I find that really strange because um, with the uh, barbarian class, there are a whole bunch of different uh, uh, paths you can take with it, and those paths come with uh, a variety of different abilities. Uh, so there is at least eight to twelve quite like markedly different barbarians I could have played. But the one you did play, the path you chose, that was a third party path. I'm pretty sure wizards didn't sign off on your tail, your weird fucking tail that changes your armor class whenever it feels like it. Well, it's Path of the Beast. It was available from uh, D&D Beyond. It's a a sanctioned thing. Yeah. Uh, We we riffed on the Mm. form of the tail. It was a little more Giger-esque than I think they had in mind. Nice. Uh, Pretty sure Dragomir's was third party, though. 
what it's I believe so. I'm just only expressing surprise that there isn't more variety, Mm because once I started shopping around, Mm -hmm. there are only two paths included in the main book for Barbarian, Mm -hmm. but there were a lot more available on uh, D&D Beyond. Yeah. Uh, I have seen memes that imply that there is no reason to play a fifth-ed fighter. Mm. Is that right? You might as well play a barbarian. Why on earth would you play a generic barbarian? (laughs) Um, That's that's kind of how boiled down it is. Uh, Ironically, uh, we're talking a little bit about rangers, but I'm talking more about like third and fourth ed. Mm. I always found that rangers were just... If you just took a warrior and gave him bow feats... You would be a way better fucking ranger than a ranger would have been. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that was sort of three point five or in Pathfinder and mm-hmm. stuff, right? Um, so it's probably the same idea. Where like you're, if you're just a fighter, you might as well be a fighter with the ability to whatever eat magic items or whatever it is David can do. That's one of the complications of of the way that three point five and Pathfinder ended up. If I wanted to, I could probably find a way to build a rogue that's essentially. A fighter, and I could probably find a way to build a cleric that's essentially a rogue. And I could like right by the time you get like even with Pathfinder, there was Pathfinder. Whole, there was a whole book of hybrid classes where they were just you remember you played like an investigator one time and yeah. shit like that. And it's like okay, let's take these two classes and smush them together, and you take the best bits. And yeah, I was like a rogue swashbuckler. Yeah, so it's totally. Guy, uh, uh, and and I suspect second ed is even more like that. It's modular, you know. It's so modular. Take this pieces, bit out, yeah. slot that bit in. And that, sorry, uh, not to get mm-hmm. that's cool. It's you cool. like that? I, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I just like. Yeah, I don't like. I know everyone always gets me. Oh, Larry just wants to be the best, care most powerful. No, I just want to be interesting and different. That's all. I'm really mm-hmm. into like trying mm-hmm. something new. Mm-hmm. My fucking alchemist was crazy. Mm-hmm. My monk was crazy. Mm-hmm. Not because he was powerful, but because I picked weird, crazy shit. I had a monk that could throw fireballs. How cool is that? Yeah, when you were the wizard and I was the monk that, uh, on Ages, I think that was. That, those were some good characters. Yeah. Huh. But, that said, all those things that said, Fifth Ed's rule, like, sorry, it's nice to be able to fight a beholder and, you know, we're mm. copyright infringement. Like I like that it's D and D. Like there's something special about playing Dungeons and Dragons compared to playing mm-hmm. Pathfinder. But that's it. That's that's it. That's the only thing about it. Right. Is that you can say you can add Morningkind and not feel guilty. Not that feel guilty. The Wizards of the Coast is going to they're going to they're going to serve a lawsuit. Mm. <laughs> other than that, I don't see any. Like I don't know why I would play Fifth Edition over any other. Um, mm. At least not any other over any of the mainstream systems. Mm. It doesn't seem to add or, or give yeah. anything in particular that I would be interested in. From the DM's point of view, mm-hmm. other than a little bit more uh, at times focus on can this work or how do we make this work, is there anything easier about Fifth Ed for the narrative sense? Yeah, like I said, uh, the amount of number crunching, the, the, the degree to which I had to stay on top of math, was profoundly different. Most of the creatures that I threw at you felt very similar. That is, the the stats and the special attacks and the vulnerabilities didn't tend to vary that much. Sword wraiths and werewolves 
both kind of did the same stuff, more or less. And that's a bit disappointing, but given my priorities, it's a, it's a, it's a reasonable price to pay. If I can make a combat against sword rates feel sufficiently different from a combat against werewolves, then to me, I've, I've solved the problem, and it's not a bad thing that they appear the same on the page. It's not a bad thing that behind the screen I'm basically just rolling one die and adding one thing. Um, so that that's sort of how I see my, my role in, in it. But I'm not the players, so mm. if every combat did kind of feel homogeneous, then I'm wrong, and I didn't do that job, or else the system undermined me. I, I didn't feel like anything felt samey like that, uh, even, so, you, so you did a good job that uh, way. Um, I did find, um, especially once we crested, like, 8th level, mm -hmm. uh, the difficulty became a little trivial. Right. Uh, and I don't know, that might have just been the modules, or the, mm -hmm. the, the thing. Or Scott pulling his punches. Yeah, well, maybe. maybe. But it did seem like none of the creatures had abilities that were mm. something that we couldn't overcome. Right. It didn't seem like they had a lot of hit points, which I always right. feel like everything died sooner than I expected it to. Right. Uh, and again, I don't know, like I said, there's so many subjective factors there that could mm. be in the play mm. there, but it did seem like, sorry, Strad felt sufficiently powerful. He has yeah. abilities to just ignore shit that we did to him. That was his, his special ability, and no. <laughs> that's my, <laughs> yeah. so, like, that's powerful. I I feel like we did almost die several times in this adventure, though. <laughs> yeah, an appreciable number of times. Yeah. Stride killed me twice in one fucking, in the same room. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, uh, I didn't find the difficult, that, sorry, not that I'm looking for a difficult mm. game, mm. it just seemed like everything squicked out instead of, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, mm. did they just, like someone blew out a candle rather than an explosion? Part of the fault lies with the writing. Um... Pathfinder adventure paths and modules are incredibly carefully calibrated to the challenge ratings and and play tested. And I know this from having written them. They are not going to publish something if they think it's overpowered. Because if an encounter is overpowered, they're going to hear about it on the forums for years. And and that happened in a couple of cases with me. It's like this fight is insane. And and my response as a writer is thank you. You know, I wrote a really challenging combat. People will be talking about it. But the editor's perspective is, no, if it says CR4, it has to be CR4. Right. By comparison, Curse of Strahd, all over the goddamn map. Mm -hmm. Like, you walk into this room, there are six vampires hiding in coffins here. It doesn't matter what level you are. <laughs> it's six vampires. Um, so, maybe, by the time you're eighth level... You had encountered the six vampires and, and most of the other death traps and were now just clearing out the chaff. Maybe I was pulling my punches to some extent. I've always struggled with that very question of whether encounters feel satisfyingly challenging because I think it's a little different for everybody and I think that you might find something challenging as long as it doesn't reduce you below zero hit points, but the next person might find it only challenging after they've been reduced to zero hit points two times in a room. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah it's really hard to judge. Yeah, fair enough. Lots of factors. A thing that gives me uh, excitement coming out of a session is uh, surviving when I was convinced we would not. Did that happen in this reality? 
in this game? That happens several times, yeah. Several mm-hmm. times. Tell me about them. I can't remember. Oh. Second, <laughs> second floor in maybe Cresc, I don't remember. You were talking about the room with the six vampires, and that, that might be what you're referring to, but the second mm-hmm. floor, we ended up jumping out the window. Yeah, that was in that, Milwaukee. That, Milwaukee. That was one of the best ones. Sorry. That was one of the best uh, gaming. Even though we had basically had to run. You did. I will also say the um, uh, the moment in Velaki where we killed the head of the guard um, mm. uh, and, and we ended on that uh, and then it, we were coming back for the next one. That was really exciting because I did not believe narratively we deserved to get out of that town alive. Uh, that was the dumbest move we could possibly <laughs> have made. Uh, but I knew it was going to be a thrill ride the way, uh, it, just because of the way it had been set up. Yeah, that was uh, nice. It had a had a bit of a Games of Thronesy feel uh, as a cliffhanger, a sense of how the fuck are they going to? Yeah, the games. The game has completely changed. How how are they going to grapple with this? I remember the um, the encounter in the gloaming with Baba La Saga. I was ex- my character mm-hmm. and myself. Mm-hmm. I was. I thought Baba La Saga was. Yeah, way more powerful than she was due to good DMing. She got me fucking amped up about it. Yeah, um, and I mean, and then when we when she started when we attacked when sorry when Jason attacked her, um, <laughs> and I banished her, and I was like, "What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do?" And then we were like, "Let's just fucking we know where she's gonna appear. Mm-hmm. Let's put everything we could in." Like I was really we were, we we killed her. It was that was fun? I really enjoyed that because I was I know I'd been mythologized. Mm. Into thinking that she was an unkillable god. Right, <laughs> right. So this was your last stand. Yeah. And, and I knew that anything we threw at her was just going to amount to nothing, but fuck mm. it. Here mm. we are. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. And meanwhile, she was just like, ow, this really hurts. Ah, oh, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> More or less. Metagaming aside, I think part of the fun of gothic horror is being in over your head, right? Is 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 being in a position or situation that you just have no idea how you're going to get out of, or what what to do, you know, what anybody would do in that situation. Uh, it's part of the reason that I introduced the gloaming at all. Uh, that that was entirely made up by me because I wanted environments that just didn't make any sense. I wanted <laughs> environments where you had to question everything uh, and, uh, and and keep keep you off balance, you know. I can go through if you're interested and, and tell you a little bit more about, you know, which parts were mine and which parts were from yeah. the text. And, yeah. I'd also be interested yeah. to hear, um, like, uh, other than the stuff that you made up and stuff, like, we, mm. the mysteries of the game yeah. really weren't solved at any point other than, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know the answers to most of the, like, you asked me a pile right. of questions about right. Strad, I can only guess. Yeah, right? yeah. well... Well, the mysteries, I'll start with that. The mysteries of the game evolved as the game was going on. And that's always a risk because it, it means you can't necessarily figure it all out, right? It's the mm-hmm. it's the lost phenomenon, right? I'm talking about the TV show. I know what you mean. Yeah. So, uh, I... So you throw mystery after mystery after yeah. mystery. Until yeah. Like, yeah. So I started the game with the Queen's death or with her her sickness um for reasons i can get into 
later, but didn't really necessarily think that that was going to come back and become a central question. Right. Right? It was just gradually, as the story was unfolding, that I realized, oh, these guys probably have a different perspective on the Queen's death than Strahd does, and that would make Strahd interested in them. It's, it's a reason for him not to kill them, because they have knowledge that he might find valuable. And so that evolved into this kind of assignment of, well, find me proof. And once we got to that point, I actually needed to know for myself how the queen was cursed. Right. This is this is heretical. Like I'm I'm revealing the magician's tricks here, but there are lots of things that I don't have the answers for at the beginning at session one. I I need to see what you guys are going to do and what's interesting to you, where you're drawn to, and then fill in those gaps. And and so. Yeah, I mean, I figured out relatively early on that it was Babalisaga who had cursed the queen, primarily because, well, because she was jealous of Straw's real mother, but also because she wanted to cultivate this evil in Barovia, and she thought his mother would be a bad, rather a good influence on him. We don't want that. Um, to turn that into an actual sort of murder investigation only works to a certain extent. And And there was at least one moment where you guys were like, Look at that piece of evidence. We did it. We fucking figured it out. Like, right? You were in you were in her tomb, and you looked at her, you did like a magic scan of her skeleton, and you're like, ooh, Scar, Faye, yeah, we figured it out, we figured it out. And I'm like, okay, that's good enough. Yeah. I don't even have to bring this up ever again. Like, Straw <laughs> doesn't need to bring it up ever again. We, we, we got to a point of, like, closure or a sense of satisfaction with that story. Let's just move along. So that's what I did with a lot of the big questions. And if there are if there were big questions that never got answered, it wasn't necessarily because you guys did the wrong things or failed to look in the right you know, to find a secret door or stuff. They just didn't seem important enough to to too many threads keep to nudging you back. So many threads, right? So many threads. And I love that, obviously. But I also recognize that at a certain point you need to let some of them go. <laughs> You need to let those those plots wander off. Yeah. Um. So what was what was from the campaign and what wasn't? Um, the idea of having you start before Strahd's became a vampire and fall asleep and wake up five hundred years later. That was my idea, and I hit upon it first because most of the characters who play in The Curse of Strahd come from beyond Barovia. Excuse me. They come from elsewhere, and they get drawn into the mists. And they've got all kinds of hooks written in there. And it's even like, if your character is from Faerun, here's a way to get them in. If your character is from Kryn, here's a way to get them in. You know? Um, so that's the, the assumption, is that you're, you're from away, you're from somewhere else, which means your primary goal is to get home, right? Mm -hmm. To escape the mists. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. I I felt like that was a cheap reason to become heroes. Um, I mean, you can do lots of great things with it, but I, I I was like, why don't they be from Barovia? And then they're actually not they're not fighting to get home. They're fighting to 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 fix their home. They're fighting to get their home back. Right. That's the that's the interesting stuff. So that's why I chose to do it that way. And I had to come up with uh, a magical device to make you fall asleep. 
And so I invented Argenvost. Well, I didn't invent Argenvost. He was already in the campaign because of Argenvosthold. But I, I connected him to this magical cache. And then I had to invent something to put in the cache. And so your magic items and all your wealth, I invented all of that too. Yeah, no, there's never been a D&D campaign that started with the players with a bunch of money and with magical finding weapons. Finding a whole yeah. bunch of money, right? Right. No. I also did it as a fuck you to Laird because he always teases me for not giving characters any treasure. Yeah, also, so. we, we didn't get any other treasure the whole rest of the game, so right. you still, you still <laughs> held, up, held up your end. That's right. <laughs> you happy now? <laughs> no, shut up! <laughs> no, we just got all the treasure at the start, yeah. and we're it's cursed like, so we to get, carry it around. Carry around. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't have to think about this anymore, right, guys? <laughs> well, and here's the fascinating thing, because I create the treasure for one reason, but it becomes about something entirely different. So when Andre first woke up in this brave new world, you you became obsessive about guarding the treasure, right? It, it became your whole reason to exist for a while because you were role playing. I'm so freaked out. I'm so traumatized. I don't know what else is real. And like that's 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 genius to me because I would not have anticipated that use for that thing. I just put that thing there, thinking you know, let's let players ascribe value to this however they wish, and that's the way that that you you ended up doing it. Also, I, I was able to steal it from you so that you could go after it and get into Death House. Yeah. yeah, that sort of stuff. So When you needed to give us motivations to do things. Well, I <laughs> kind of figured that you weren't going to go into Death House on your own. Uh, you, you, weren't, you weren't in that part of town. You'd already found Irina at the Burgomasters, yeah. and it's called Death House anyway. It we was... had plenty of troubles on our plates. We weren't mm-hmm. we weren't in the mood to go right. and invite more, right? I, right. I do find that, like all the D and D, the pre written adventures that I've read, mm-hmm. I'll have these like you got to go to let's say Death House, little, little chain quest stuff. And it, but it's like mm-hmm. your players are just hungry for adventure, so they'll go. And meanwhile, yeah. I'm thinking, yeah. my guy's not going to Death House, yeah, not without no. the payday or some <laughs> sort of you right, know. right. Yeah. Um, Death House is uh, an appendix in the Curse of Strahd campaign. Uh, it's it's because Curse of Strahd itself is designed to start with third-level characters, and then it occurred to them, I guess, just before it was about to go to print, wouldn't, so, wouldn't some people like to start at first level, since it's called first? So they wrote this little appendix where you get trapped in Death House and go up to level three. I didn't necessarily think that you had to go to death house but i also knew that if you didn't that you were at a disadvantage when you started oh. fighting vampires and such so i was looking for a hook to get you there for your own sakes really it was did. for your own good they really did put vampires in early didn't they yep scott's trying to get us on the progression ladder that's right that's right <laughs> there's a great dungeon over here yeah. guys XP, it keeps respawning XP, XP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 that's it. Well, you know, it was also a, a nicely written little little yeah. environment. You know, it had some good encounters to it. I think I may have cut a couple of corners in there. I was getting a bit bored, but uh, overall it was good. And, and it gave you, you know, not only some, some of your first combat encounters, but also Dragomir's Brush with Death. Um, it, it introduced, I, it was early enough that I could sort of use it to introduce some motifs that I would keep bringing back. So, you know, the first time that I described something as umbilical and Laird went, Ugh, I, I went to the back of my book and I wrote down Ralston, phobias, umbilical cords. <laughs> so so anytime I could, I would describe something as umbilical. And Dragomir got 
almost killed by the shambling mound and dragged under the water. Oh, and rotten grubs were in there too. It was like, okay, Roth we need grubs. more worms in this campaign. Yeah, that sort of thing. Right. I think we all had a phobia of rot grubs before the adventure started. <laughs> That's right. You had a form with that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, if you had ever really gone toe-to-toe with Haslick, of course, you'd be getting a face full of rot grubs for sure. What else? I can't go through it all. I suppose I've got to give you highlights. Most of the stuff in Velaki is as written, but it's written in a very sandboxy way, so it's very hard to kind of get the pieces in place to tell a good story. The Vistani are part of the campaign, but they're more or less adversaries. As written, they work for Strahd, and I didn't like the idea of having to fight these Urzatz gypsies, so I changed a bunch of details about the Vistani and made them you know, allies, potential allies instead. It just made more sense than having the three of you travel around on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I, having other characters to interact with as we were traveling mm. uh, really helped with the storytelling. Yeah. It also helped with the idea that we were in hiding. Right. Uh, right. I, I thought it helped to reinforce that. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. enjoyed well, that. I, yeah, exactly. I could bundle that in because Madame Ool can give you the fetishes to protect you from Strahd, but then I can also flip it when it's revealed that Ringmaster Blink is Strahd. So, you know, you think you're hiding, but you, yeah. he's there all along yeah. kind of thing. Yes. Pretty sort cool. of like the, uh, the Wizard of Wines as well. Pre- uh, created a, an environment of potential safety. Yeah. But because it was potential safety, that also yeah. Cre- uh, increased the risk outside. Yeah, and then Strahd shows up there and 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 invites you to dinner. So yeah, there's no there's no safe place, not in a gothic horror campaign. But you do need a sense of having a hidey hole, I think, in order to make that tension work. Mm-hmm. I think there's something about the unvaried tension level mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. uh we are always exposed, always yeah. under threat, yeah. never a moment even to breathe. You, you can't sustain that. So this gave us some, some more ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That I appreciated. Yeah. Well, and, and allies, you know, that, that you can, once you started to figure out that these were the, the Martikovs, the were-ravens, had little, had relatives in each of the towns, you know, you're sort of starting to create a network of, of alliances and, and, and points of safety, you know, even in, in very dangerous places. The abbot, kind of more or less as written. Really? Uh, yeah, believe it or not, he he really is a diva, a fallen a deva, a diva, uh, a fallen angel. He's really is building a flesh golem version of Irina, and he really wants you to go and deliver her. Actually, no, in the campaign as written, he wants you to get a wedding dress for her. It's an even stupider assignment. Go and go and find a wedding dress back in Velaki so that we can send this. Gollum to Strad, so he was he was meant to be crazy. I just made him crazier. I gave him. I think he already had mongrel men. Yeah, Doctor Rose. Yeah, all the Doctor Rose shit was already going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I made a few changes to the environment at at the Abbey to make it even creepier. And then I made him, you know, eventually sort of a bona fide angel, like he could turn into eyes and wings and you know all kinds of really. Crazy stuff. Um, he he sort of almost had a secret backstory that, that never got revealed, and that he still has all of his powers through the Morning Lord, 
but he's actually a fallen angel. He was cast out, you know, and his his hope is that he can someday replace Strahd as the 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 lord of this domain. That he would he would arise to godhood essentially if if he were the one who was worshipped. But he can't <clears throat> kill Strahd because if he takes if he acts directly in violence against Strahd, then he loses powers. It is complicated, and I was a little ambivalent about him. I suspect that if Ralston, if or if you hadn't chosen a, a Morning Lord's cleric, he might have been written out altogether and right. replaced with something else. But I figured, ah, it's interesting enough because of that connection, and we'll sort of see where it goes. That environment was a good one. Yeah, you like that? No, oh, the, the environment in particular. Oh, yeah, was yeah, good. The, yeah, yeah. That was that was a situation where I was able to use uh, the weather and the, the sort of the surrounding topography all to good effect to create a really gothic feeling space. You were you were stuck up there for a while. You were isolated. Everybody was crazy or weird. Uh, it was it was effective. Yeah, I agree. I felt like uh, it was frustrating. I was aggravated with that character because his plan was so transparently not going to work. Right. The idea that perhaps there could have been an ally there, but he was not enough of sound enough mind that he could possibly be. Right. Uh, and that in fact he was he was so flawed in his thinking that he was just dangerous. Dangerous yeah. to be with. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that was the idea and, and mm-hmm. so the idea worked. <laughs> yep. I remember the, the, the best part of that part of the campaign was that there was the two rooms. One was the maternity ward, the other one was the morgue. Mm-hmm. And we both, we all knew the maternity ward was going to be way worse than the morgue. <laughs> way worse. Yeah, yeah. Also back to umbilical cords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, we didn't actually well, get to see any horrors when we opened the door. Didn't it blow up or something? That's right. There yeah. was, it was struck by lightning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we built it up so high that you couldn't possibly. <laughs> 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 you had to just destroy it and get it out of the gate. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the unseen horror. <laughs> yeah. Good enough for me. Yeah. So then the gloaming, which, like I said, I pretty much made up uh, whole cloth. Uh, Babala Saga is in the campaign, but she just hangs around in a swamp. She's got a little uh, hut, you know, uh, like the chicken leg hut. It's it's a little different. I forget how hers works. I think it's a walking tree house or something. Uh, but the same general idea. Um but she's she's comparatively minor. She doesn't have the same long relationship to Strahd. She's involved with the druids who stole the gem from the Wizard of Wines. It was just a bunch of B-plot stuff, and I tried to loop it back into the A-plot. Um, incidentally, all of the encounters that you had with Strahd prior to going to the castle were ones that I imposed upon you, uh, mm-hmm. except when you went to Yester Hill. Yester Hill was where you fought mm-hmm. the druids, and Strahd was there on his on his, on his nightmare horse. And that's where the campaign says, when the players get here, no matter what else is going on in the campaign, the druids are about to do their ritual, and Strahd is there on his horse. That's like... other In other cases, they try to do all this kind of conditional shit, like... If the players have already met Esmeralda Davenir, but they have not yet met Rudolf Van Richten, then they will see this, but not this, you know, and all that stupid shit. Uh, whereas this one was just cut and dried. When they get here, Strahd is there. Uh, all right, let's try that. <laughs> you gotta force a... Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you can't have one of those absent uh, villains, right? Well, yeah. that's that's definitely a danger with this yeah. campaign, right? You spend all this time afraid of Strahd, but you never actually get a taste of his power directly. Uh, I wanted... Yeah, I wanted you to to get to know this guy and 
know, different contexts like that. Um, what else? The druids were in there originally. The the werewolves, I think I fleshed them out a little bit, but there was, yeah, definitely a bunch of clans, and they were fighting amongst themselves and stuff. Argon Vostholds. That was a good mm-hmm. time, wasn't it? Um, no. I like the chase, I like the chase up to the top and grabbing the bird. Uh, that, that, was a, that, that was a really good moment for Dragomir. That was a really great moment for Dragomir. I, I really, because I didn't even see it coming, the, the solution as Dragomir saw it to, to stopping that bird from getting that message out was to eat the bird, of course. Uh, yeah, that was nice. I remember that was the first time I'd ever role-played with Revenants. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, their <laughs> hunger was, you know, more than just a, this is, what, what, this is why they want to eat you. It was more like they were being tortured up there. For mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. And, of course, that's always the underlying what you're supposed to think about them, but we're just too, usually too busy killing them uh, to think about that stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, the campaign, as written, was designed to allow for that role-play opportunity, but it didn't really lean into it. So if I didn't make adjustments, then you almost certainly would have just started killing them. Uh, probably because I was so keen on getting that role play in, it meant that you ended up in a tougher situation because you were with them in the dining hall. They were all right there instead of spread out throughout the castle. So you probably could have handled them if you were just taking them out one or, one or two at a time. Yeah. But yeah, they were all there. And then you said no. And they said, we're going to eat you. And then they started eating you. But I, I liked that. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very distressing section. If I were to die in a D&D campaign, I don't think it would ever bother me. Uh, I, I kind of like, I feel good about dying in D&D. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like, oh shit. <laughs> I, wish you'd, I wish you'd told me that. Yeah, well, you tried. It's like you didn't fucking try. Strike killed oh. me twice in the same room, remember? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there's, I can sort of see what you're talking about. There's something about... Uh, making such a strong statement to, to the narrative, mm-hmm. even if it means you're, well, both even if and because there is a presumed restart with something slightly different. Sure. But there's a, a there's a really strong sort of stake driven the, into the ground mm-hmm. or the vampire. Um, yeah. Just like the flag of this is a a rallying narrative point. Yeah. That could potentially be used. It's not like we're playing Iron Man D&D where if I die, Scott makes me leave the house while we're playing. Like, it's never going to happen like that. I'll, I'll get another character and I'll, I'll try something different. Right. Worst case scenario. And, but, uh, and it's my job to either make the death meaningful, narratively meaningful, you know, maybe giving you an opportunity to sacrifice yourself for something, or if it doesn't work out that way... To, to make the legacy of that character meaningful. In other words, we don't all just forget that Ralston ever existed now that, you know, Ralston 2 is here, uh, but rather that that storyline persists in some way. Um, yeah. that's, that's that flag. That's why it that never sort of, bothered me. Like, I don't get attached. Yeah. It's I don't get attached. I love, I love playing a lot of my characters, but it's if they die, it's... Yeah. yeah. That's part of the game. I think, I think my biggest regret with the way we played that story is that... Um, uh, that Argenvost Holt confrontation was quite powerful, uh, and I wish that uh, we had been able we had been able to steal the dragon's skull as part of the main story. Right. Um, but maybe I'm thinking of that partly because of just the, the completionist in me. We mm-hmm. we got all the other things we could think of to try to 
yeah. uh, undermine yeah. Strahd, but that was the one we missed. But at the same time, that was the the thing that we had, I think, the tightest relationship with, the most mm. narrative stakes in mm. uh, 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 seeing the devastation at Argonbost Holt. Yeah. Uh, and it connected back to how we got here in the first place. Right, I just, right. I wish we had found time to do that. That said, I wouldn't have actually changed any of the decisions we made because mm. we were really just being chased by circumstance and so much of the story. Of the time, and I think yeah. we, yeah, yeah, I think we did what made sense to us at the time. Yeah. A couple of times I thought about trying to help you out. Uh, like I thought of who, who would be capable of stealing that skull throne? Uh, yeah. you know, if you sent mother murder <laughs> up to grab it while you were distracting Strahd somewhere else or something like that. Um, but in the end, I decided it wasn't important enough for me to railroad you into yeah. doing it. And it is a big fucking ask, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just... Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. not like we're going it in and taking a ring off a counter. We're right. taking a whole fucking chair out of there. Yeah. And it turns into a heist plot. And is that does that fit with the gothic? That's a good yeah, question, too. You fit it in there, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, silly, re retrieving so. an artifact, restoring an artifact to its proper space, that's that's all, you know, close enough, I think. It is a little uh, silly, though. When you treat it like a heist, you're right, it, it yeah. starts to get a bit goofy. Um, the only change I made to any of that was making it his throne. Uh, in the campaign oh. as written, Argenvost's skull was in Castle Ravenloft, but it wasn't in the throne room. It was... Mm, uh, it was a trophy. Yeah, it was down in that bone room I sent you to when you dispelled the sword wraiths. Um, oh. That was that was part of that decor. And I went, come on, you kill a fucking silver dragon. You're not going to stick their skull in the basement, right? Make a make a throne out of that puppy. <laughs> where, where the players could get it. <laughs> right? Anybody could go in and get it. It's just down the hall from the portal to the gloaming, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Keep meaning to close that up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that, that uh, makes Curse of Strahd unique, has always made Ravenloft unique, is the, the drawing of cards at the beginning. Um, so the three artifacts, the Sun Swords, the Tome of Strahd, and the symbol of Ravenkind, right, the medallion, those three objects are in a different place every time you play this campaign. The, the very first Taroka reading that gets done determines their locations. I didn't know that. Yeah. So so I drew certain cards. When, this was Irina giving you a reading. And it informed me of where those objects were hidden. I didn't know until that reading occurred that the Sun Sword was in that treasury, for example. Or that the medallion was buried at Yester Hill. Ordinarily, you do that reading... You write that information down, you give the players some clues, and then you hope for the best. But I knew that was never going to fly. Not because you guys are idiots, but because the clues were not great. Mm. And because there's just so much going on. Um, so what I did was, after I did the reading... I started thinking about it, and I asked myself the question that they never tell you to ask, which is, how did those artifacts get to those places? Right? Why is the Queen's Medallion at Yester Hill? Why is the Tome of Strahd at uh, the Abbots? And in the course of answering those questions for myself, I was able to create links and therefore clues at other locations as well. So, you know, for example, you went to Vallaki. You were trying to dump these two 
orphans off at the orphanage, and at the orphanage there was an encounter that provided some information about the Tome of Strahd. It wasn't there, but it, it led you one step closer to it. I'm curious if any of that actually came across or played out, or whether the objects were just essentially still in random locations and you felt like you lucked upon them, or something in between. Uh, the, the the tone seemed logical. I still uh-huh. don't know. Like, I still couldn't understand why Strad's mom's jewelry ended up at Yester Hill. That still didn't make any much sense to me, but mm-hmm. I just thought maybe someone stole it and hid it. You know what I mean? That's what I was thinking in my head. But well, It was special and part of the ceremony or... Yeah. No, it was a it was an agent of God Sir Godfrey Gwillems who who sent was sent out from Argon Vosthold and died at Yester Hill. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I um one thing I remember about Argon Vosthold or sorry, well, I we all had great fun there. It was a really interesting uh, part of the game. But <laughs> I kept thinking about how horrifying that would have been for our characters because we were going to Argon Vosthold. Mm. To get help, right, 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 yeah. and it was yeah. We were finally yeah. going to get the help we needed, and mm-hmm. we got there, and everything was immediately wrong. It was mm-hmm. there was no help. We went down, we we left there worse off than when we got there. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking in my head, like, I know we're all cheerful, we're having mm-hmm. a great time, but our characters would be fucking demoralized <laughs> right now. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah, think. I definitely felt that at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I didn't. I was like, oh, I died. That's hilarious. But then I was thinking about it later, like again, uh, like back on, thinking uh, back. Oh man, Ralston was super bummed out right now. <laughs> What's really interesting is that for me, that was the darkest seg- segment of the whole game. The themes that you played with there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, not anything that happened with Strahd. Yeah, yeah. that was that did not hold a candle to me. Mm-hmm. Even the Vertigen and uh, uh, Gargosh came came close. Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. that was very uh, personal. Um, uh, yeah, well, and it didn't, it didn't take much. Most of that is is in is written in the module. I did uh, expand the backstory a little bit uh, to give the knights a little bit more to talk about. But really, I think it came across in the role play, as you said. Uh, it, it I, like I I'm fascinated by those kinds of narratives, um, the Franklin expedition, uh, for example, where you've got a bunch of well intentioned people who, you know, due to their extreme circumstances go mad, eat each other, that kind of thing. And it just seemed perfect to develop some of those uh, those themes to make that, that particular type of horror come to the fore. So, yeah, it just, it just lined up, I guess, with my own interests. In response to your question about um, whether the story behind the placement of the objects uh, was present, um, it was difficult to keep track of all of the plot elements because there was so much going on and even yeah. with the notes yeah, going back and remembering what had happened so it's difficult for me to say with absolute confidence but i do feel like uh whenever there was a thing that we needed to pursue that it made sense that it was there at the time <laughs> and that things were building like it, I, yeah. I nothing felt random all right um it did feel Time like race. things were happening outside yeah. of our view We'd get glimpses, and the glimpses fit together. Right. Uh, that's how I felt during all, the whole story. That's um, good. And if anything, I always just blame my terrible memory for uh, not expecting a certain thing. Yeah. There was a lot of um, a lot of the clues and a lot of the story hooks and a lot of the things were intentionally vague, and that, but that sort of hampered their ability to be easily remembered a lot of the times. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, which, sorry, and plus we sometimes had three, four, or five weeks between sessions, you know what of I mean, course. and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. Yeah, and we drank no f- beer, and I smoked pot, and... So, uh, I got, yeah. I got yeah. raging drunk a couple of times, yeah. at least. Yeah. yeah, I have it on. Once or twice. I have it recorded. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, that, that's a good answer. Uh, I didn't expect it to all, like, I'm definitely at a point now where I realize my players are not going to remember this. You know, if I'm, if I'm giving them some crucial bit of information, I can't count on anyone to be able to call that name back up or anything like that. Uh, and, and they do say that when you're designing, you know, if you're designing a, a, a mystery to roleplay, you need to scatter you know, three times the clues that you think you need uh, in order for players to get on track. So I did my best, as long as it didn't feel completely random, I guess. David and I were pretty good about taking notes for about half of it, two-thirds of it, maybe. (laughs) Okay. I was pretty good. And sometimes you're just in the moment Mm -hmm. and playing the game Mm -hmm. and forget, I really should write this down, and that's the key thing you need to remember four weeks later. (laughs) Right. I I was really good at making sure that we still had all of our money. Was yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. That's right. Good job. Yeah. Were you? Were you? Because I feel like I was the, the one bank, responsible the for making sure oh, we had yeah, money. Sorry, I was the. Uh, you were the mule or pack <laughs> and I was the. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what else can I tell you? I used a version of Strahd's stats that were considerably higher level than the original as written. Uh, oh. The CR for Strahd in the book is, I think, 13. And the one I used was 17. Ooh. Yeah. Nice jump. Um, there's a bunch of different ones online, of course. Different. Yeah. Depending on how much is variable after you get through, you could be any level when you're fighting Strahd, yeah. I guess. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I was thinking. But I also didn't want his CR to be anywhere near anybody else's. Right? No no other creatures except Azalin should have anything approaching his CR. So the fact that I was already using CR 13 creatures up to that point. Like, oh. Right? No way. Yeah, that would have been really anticlimactic if we just yeah. beat the piss out of him. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's powerful. This uh, I love these legendary character abilities. Legendary resistance. Yeah. If Strap fails a saving throw, eh, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Three times a day, he can just fucking bullshit. He can just succeed yeah. at yeah, yeah. So but that's how uh, Scott. Question for you. Yeah. What is the biggest punch you pulled in this campaign? Hmm. Good question. The biggest punch I pulled. Interesting. The fight with Aslan got a little out of hand. When you're any any time you're having a fight above a bottomless pit, you got to be careful. Watch where you step. That's very good advice. And I think if I were role-playing Aslan accurately... Trying to kill us, yeah. Well, first, as soon as he got out of his little prison, he would be fucking out of there. There's just... Well, why stick around and kill a bunch of chumps? So, I'm not sure that that fight even necessarily would have taken place to begin with. I don't remember all the specifics, but... And if it had happened, I can see a lot of ways that he could have done it without exposing himself at all. Just like Strahd fighting you invisibly at the end. There's no reason why he should have to stick his neck out, right? He's a lich. He's got all the spells. He shouldn't be in any danger at any time. 
So I think probably pulled some punches with Azalin, uh, but we were so deep into the acrobatic Jedi physics of this bottomless pit fight, I wanted to keep using that and working with that. The thematics were there. Right? And, and, and so I'm like, you know, he's been locked in a room for how 500 years, yeah. whatever. He's going to make some mistakes. He's going to memorize his spells. Like got a little hubris going on there. Um, and I, I do specifically remember realizing that I had kept, you know, or, or, you know, through situations, through choices, Andre had been kept out of the battle for a long time. He was, he was, everybody had been split up, and, and Andre was on this kind of elevator that he'd created, moving slowly down this pit. And so I was like, how am I going to give David anything satisfactory in this entire fight? Maybe the elevator is going to come at a crucial moment, and and crush Azalin. So I then had to manipulate the details of the fight a little bit in order to get that into position. Um, I guess all of which is to say that you neither really quite won the fight against Azalin, nor no. did you entirely lose. I, 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 I had to kind of pull this back and shove this forward in order to make it unresolved. Yeah, we got out of there alive with yeah. the thing that we needed, right. which was what the story was about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we completed the Curse of Strad, but uh, the Aslan DLC is coming out. In, the Aslan DLC is yet to come out. Coming yeah. in January. Yeah. So. yeah, I'm surprised that that's the example you picked and not the final battle. Yeah, I didn't pull a lot of punches in the final battle. Um, that there's a lot of material in the campaign that says Strad is very clever. You must play him as clever. He uses all the advantages of the terrain. He's not afraid to like. Nope, right out of there, and and come back later, you know? And so, yeah, he could have done a lot more of that. That final battle didn't need to be his final battle. Like, he... Just because his just because his crypt was up there, it doesn't mean he has to stay there and defend it. How many times could you do that before it becomes stupid, though, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. And if if our campaign had consisted entirely, or almost entirely, of just exploring the castle then yeah, there would have been a lot more near misses with Strahd, where he's toying with you, right? Mm. Um, but no, I think, to me, the ending felt pretty justified. I like that the uh, the earth shaping mm. was part of that, because I think there's this implication that it is not just spell, but also that right. the, uh, the Wode was participating in that. Yeah, yeah, that uh, And that felt, that felt right. Yeah, and I hadn't rather. planned any of that out, although I'm glad that I had a couple of opportunities to demonstrate her earth shaping prior to that. You know, yeah. otherwise it would have been Deus Ex Machina. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, you use whatever you've got, right? I think yeah. I think the nice thing about that that solution is it's not about killing Strahd, but rather separating him from the thing that can save him. You know, we think about mm -hmm. how do we stop this impossibly impossible to stop creature, this you know this shape changing immortal creature. Well, just hide the thing that he uses to stay alive. Hide the tomb. Hide hide the box of earth inside this, this stone block, and then, yeah, suddenly he's vulnerable. That was definitely my monomania, because he keeps coming back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's great. It, it reminds me, I've, I've run Ravenloft in different configurations a few times over the years, and before I moved uh, east, I ran it for uh, a group of friends just the just the castle, not the the whole campaign. And uh, my friends, 
I know Jason, you'll remember and Andrew Day. I don't know if David, yeah. you'll, you'll remember meeting Andrew Day. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So when he was, when they were facing off against Strahd in the torture chamber, he created a sphere of earth, probably using stone shape, to encase Strahd. He like locked him in a sphere of, of solid earth. And then he cast create water inside the sphere. And then he was going to bless the water. So he'd come up with this pretty unique, thoroughly unique strategy Mm -hmm. for killing a vampire. Put him in a cage, fill the cage up with water, make it holy water. He dead. And I told him afterwards, I would have let you win. Like, I would have let that work. Except that was an illusory duplicate of Strahd. The whole time, so you know you trapped you trapped an illusion instead. Um, that's also something they have in the campaign that I didn't actually use much in this case. Is that Strahd loves to send illusions at you instead, and you know spook you and stuff. But to me, ingenuity deserves a reward whenever possible. If you come up with a solution to a problem that I never thought of, I'd rather it work. You know. And sometimes it'll come down to the roll of the dice, and sometimes other factors will intercede, but, you know, I like to reward creative thinking, if I can. And uh, how about the woad? Was that uh, part of the the campaign setting? No, no, no. No, all of your, all of your character stuff uh, was original. Attempts on my part to make, to some extent, attempts to make your your templates or your archetypes yeah. make sense, right? Yeah. So rather than just saying, oh, okay, Dragomir is a person who can change into a wolf because that's the thing that happens. I'm like, no, he's got the spirit of his wolf mother. He's got to wear this skin and, you know, and so, and then he's got the air elemental inside him. You know, I was, I was planting a lot of seeds without necessarily knowing how they'd work out. But yeah, since I knew you were choosing that one, and I knew that uh, I needed something to kind of transform you, it just made sense, I guess. I'm, I'm, I don't know. Yeah, my character was also, uh, I think, go- droning on more and more than anyone else about the connection to the land and that being the motivation. Yeah. So you found a way to connect him with yeah. that. Yeah. 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 And and the cosmology, I changed a little bit the cosmology because, as you said, there was the Morning Lord and Mother Night, and that was it. And so I added, I, I created a, 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 a tetralogy or, or instead, right? The uh, Marantha and Asmodeus were in there as well. And that gave me a chance for your character's arc to sort of tap into some of that ancient history, you know, pre-Strahd, even pre, pre-Andre. I knew that certain sites would have more connection to that. So, you know, when you got to... Amberi Zaro, for example, if you didn't have a wizard's, you couldn't really get in. It was sealed. Ah. But I knew that you had this connection to the land, and this was an ancient temple to Marantha, so let's do it. The, incidentally, Amberi Zaro was very, very different um, in all kinds of ways. It was called the Amber Temple uh, originally, and there was a lich in it, but it wasn't Azalin, but he was still kind of an amnesiac lich. It was dumb. Um, dumb and useless. Uh, the even like reviews are like, 
what is this little module doing in the middle of Ravenloft? Because it didn't feel gothic-y. It was just a, it was just a dungeon crawl. But by the time we got to it, and I knew it would take a long time, I knew it would be one of the last stops, I had plenty of character material and lore material that I could draw on so that I could make it something meaningful, right? Something useful. And then breaking the contract, that was all my addition as well. Strahd's contract. Yeah, was that, um, how were you supposed to stop the the heart of the land or whatever? What, like, what does that actually work? Uh, you can go up and fight the heart. Right. That that giant heart in Ravenloft has hit points. Right. So you can just go up and, and stab it, and it'll defend itself, but then you kill it. And once once you've killed it, then Strahd can't defer his damage to it. Right, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's how it works when the heart is operational, is that the first, I think, 50 hit points of damage that he takes in any encounter, he just ignores. Doesn't mean anything to him. And, and that's designed to make him seem, you know, invincible. Uh, which he sort of is, but uh, but yeah, you go and stab the heart, and, and that's and I was like, I mean, okay, that's an option. <laughs> if if they get there and the heart's still beating, I guess they could do that. Right. Yeah, I like that better. The contracts and all that stuff. That's I, like, I like links to Asmodeus, and mm. I like I, I like the high end fucking demons and right? gods. Yeah, stuff. I love that stuff. Yeah, you wanna you wanna rub shoulders with a god at least once yeah. uh, in a campaign like this. So yeah, I'm glad. Glad you liked that. Those additions. Yeah, I'm always a sucker for the forces of uh, of hell are, are uh, really sticklers for the law. Uh, uh, I, I love any plot that's based around that. Interesting. Devils, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. The lawful. I always. Stuff. I, I like. I hate the word devil, but I like the word demon. Mm. But I like the, <laughs> the concept. Like, I, I like the, the devil's concept, like the law, and like they're, they're like I said, they're just right. They stick to the law. I, I always hate the fact that it's demons or chaos and devils are lawful. I hate that. I want, mm. For some reason, I just want it to be the other way. It's stupid. It's a stupid thing, but it bothers me every time. <laughs> demons have more panache. Yeah. yeah. But really... <laughs> right. They have the better visual design. Yeah. Just sounds better. Devils sounds like, oh, the devil. Demons sound like primordial evil, you know, kind of thing. That's actually an interesting idea, just how how people are brought up and how perhaps what religions they're exposed to or gaming or not gaming, what sort of slant is put to each word. It's true. I always like that was always like, I don't know, obsessed with demons sounds stupid. But like, <laughs> like my very first email address was asmodeus1000 at hotmail.com. Like that's the kind of kid I was growing up. I love that kind of, whatever, mythology and, and all that kind of stuff. And I was obsessed with demons and hell and Satan and all that stuff. So if I send an email to Asmodeus1000, will you get it? Yes. Well, no. <laughs> it'll go there because it exists, but I don't. I haven't accessed that email in 20 years, I think, probably. I'm trying to figure out why I feel the same way you do, Laird. Like, what it is about the devil that seems underwhelming. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Maybe because the devil is, is too overstuffed. Like, it's a defined uh, a religious force. Yeah, yeah. Whereas demons can be huh? these side characters that are less defined. Yeah. And you can start to project interesting things on them. I always think That's of, a good way to think about it. I think of demons as this race of infinite combinations and possibilities you know in my head i don't know why i don't know what like i don't know what mythology 
and stuff I've read brought that into my head, but when I see devils, yeah. I just see pitchfork wielding red guys with pointy tails, like some. Oh, well, that's just unimaginative. Like Ned Flanders, you know, <laughs> in <the> Simpsons. <laughs> Gay marriage. <laughs> well, as 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 I learned in Scott's play, the only reason the devil looks like that is because people are unimaginative when they see him, and yeah. you see what you imagine. Right. <laughs> he played the devil. Yeah, I play <laughs> uh, stupid, sexy Flanders. It's yeah. going through my yeah. head when I yeah. see the devil. <laughs> so it was very important to me that uh, Andre did not want any truck with that dream or what Haslick was trying to share with him. Yeah, yeah. I like I, that choice. I, I am curious, though, <laughs> if I had chosen the other door, yeah, what would happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe I can't reveal. Um, oh. <laughs> all, all I will say is that uh, a theme of the campaign, and yes, I know, I have themes, um, is, uh, is, is f- fate versus free will. And... Strahd believed that he was Destiny's favorite child. He believed that everything in Barovia, everything in his own life, led him, uh, steered him towards this greatness. And that's what allowed him to believe that he would reign forever. Um, But the players needed to feel, the characters needed to believe that they had free will. And it didn't always feel that way. It didn't always feel that way. I recognize that. I recognize that. But no, like, no. I mean, like we were always fucked. That's all. There's always problems. Yeah. Well, Do yeah. I mean, feel like will, they have free will. You can have free will and still be fucked. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's certainly true. Um, but the you know the, the so the the metaphors about the roads and the paths that you can take and so on. Um, maybe uh, to some extent, uh, Dragomir's obsession with flights and being free. Um, but just generally trying to avoid falling into the tropes of destiny, of this is, you know, the prophecy is foretold that three sleepers will arise, and, you know, it would have been so easy to do that. And it's such a lazy trope for DMs to do, because I know the ending, I know what's going to happen next, so giving you prophecy after prophecy, it's it's easy. Now, of course, there are fortune-telling devices built right into the story, so it's not like... You can't avoid them. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can't avoid them completely, but... What I'll say is, I wanted to find ways for each of you to, opportunities, if you wanted, for each of you to struggle with that question. Am I destined to be this thing? Am I destined to to, to take this path? Uh, or or can I choose? Like, a, a, If you play Strad correctly, and he was as clever as he's supposed to be, mm-hmm. and he knew that there was a prophecy about three sleepers rising up against him and eventually defeating him, he would have killed us long ago. Of course. He wouldn't sit there and say, let's see how this prophecy plays out. Right. <laughs> oh, just come for dinner. No. Yeah. It, could be different sleepers. Could be... Yeah. So, um, Everyone knows that villains don't believe in prophecies or that if uh, prophecies exist, they can be subverted. Yeah. <laughs> no, only the prophecies that serve their ends. Well, <sighs> good times. Where, where shall we go next? I... I gotta pee. That's where I'm going. That's where you go next. Yeah. I can I can actually answer the the question of when before I can answer the question of where or what. Okay. Um, I suspect it will be best for me to start something new in the new year rather than yeah that fits for me. Once we're in the new year, I don't know yet 
what's going to work best for me, for my schedule. Uh, probably it'll be pretty open, but I may be working on a couple of shows, so I, I'm not going to commit to any specific times or nights. But I'm much more curious about what than about when. If we want to keep role-playing together in some capacity, and if so, what game we'll play, and if so, what who's going to be in charge of that? Those are all big questions, and I don't have a lot of answers. I was gonna, I was gonna say, I have a little bit from my point of view. Uh, I think about the amount of effort and focus you have in DMing, and I do not have that at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> so Fair. I don't think I'm in a in a place where I can run one. Would, um, would Scott argue that he does? I'm not sure. <laughs> that is that. That's a valid but separate question. Um, <laughs> It's and yeah, it's not as hard as it might seem, but maybe also it's kind of the way my brain is wired. I don't know. Part of me is tempted, yeah. just because one of the things that I found was the week or the weeks in between. Mm-hmm. I just sort of went okay, switch, yeah. and that's where my brain was, and then that yeah. coming back, that what are that bad memory. Part of it is just the, I haven't thought about this since. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't, and I never developed a, a, a revisit or a retouch, uh, which is, I think, one reason why I liked uh, Gail's drawings so yeah. much. Yeah. Is that the, yeah. like, the podcast could have been the thing, but it was mm-hmm. never what just happened. Right. Yeah, that's true. I am, in fact, uh, as many as 20 no. episodes behind, so... <laughs> Still... Right. Yeah. Um, so you'll be playing so. this campaign for a lot longer. That's right, that's it. right. I will revisit it and well into the new year. Yeah, but... Uh, I see what you mean. Yeah, I think I think it has to do with the... Uh, partly with the approach that I take. I like to tell long-form stories. It's not the only way to role-play. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are plenty of one-off stories or short narratives or or ways to role play in which the narrative and the story don't really matter where you just show mm-hmm. up and shit happens and you roll dice uh so but I, I i also totally get where you're coming from jason it's definitely a time commitment <laughs> and we're all busy people i think we've all been pretty tolerant of each other's inflexibility and crazy schedules and stuff at times like mm-hmm. we play this game over the business end of two years or two and a half years. Two and a half years. And it's not designed yeah. to be played for two and a half years, I don't think, right? So I don't... Uh-huh. Yeah, schedules don't I think it's part of playing D&D in middle age is, you know, it's a reality. Yeah, yeah, you accept that. There are going to be hiatuses, sometimes yeah. planned, usually not. But I see what you mean, Jason, and again, it's partly just how my brain works. If I... Mm. If I have a story unfolding in my in my head, uh, then I'm going to hang on to it, and it becomes a kind of outlet or a, I don't know, security blanket or something. It's nice to be able to spin those scenarios out as I buy the time, as I as I as I, mm-hmm. I while away the hours in the real world uh, between sessions. If we hypothetically have been considering going straight into something new, I'd love to do something short as a palate cleanser. Yeah. I'm not sure how I'll feel by the time we get to January. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, uh, even if it were just something short and fun and silly. Yeah. yeah.
And I just mean as a palate cleanser, because I'm certainly not allergic to getting into another campaign. I think that could be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just that we've just come out of something huge. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And if you put me in charge again, I'm going to want to take us right into something huge. And probably also something very dark and angsty. And that's, that's... <laughs> we could do a paranoia campaign, except there's no comedy. It's actual play it straight. People are really, really paranoid. No. <laughs> I forgot about paranoia. I can't play anything straight. Come on. Yeah, that's the that's the funny thing is that you know we played a very dark campaign. Everybody brought their A game. We were all role playing, but we still laughed a ton. We had a great time. You know, that's yeah. been there was a moments we couldn't resist making the comment. It's I, the same experience I've had in the theater. You have a lot more fun mm -hmm. when you're directing King Lear than when you're directing Comedy of Errors. There's just something about the need for, for catharsis or something. Yeah. It's that, it's that tension again. Tension release. Yeah. yeah. Lairds, you want a DM? No. No. The well, last time I DM'd for you guys, you made a mockery of for three games, and then I stopped, remember? I remember that's how you see it. Is Laird thin-skinned? Maybe. <laughs> a little bit, actually, yeah. I can't take a joke. I can give all day jokes, but I can't take them. Look at me. Coward. <laughs> that game, if I remember, had some shortcomings to start with. Not None of them were your fault. You had a big group, almost all of whom were not role players, many of whom have never played before. But you had me and Conrad, and we both wanted to play characters who were batshit insane. Oh, God. Right? That's worse than evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Two crazy characters in one party. So you had your work cut out for you. You don't need to keep talking. It's fine. We're, I'm over. No, you're not. You're clearly not. And I want to... I mean, I don't want to dig into it, because uh, that's not the point. But I don't want you to feel that if that game didn't work out the way you'd imagined or the way you wanted it to... That means you're a shitty DM, or you should never do it again, or any of those things. Oh, I know I'm a good DM. You know you're a good DM. Okay, okay. As long as you know it. Well, then, maybe you should be in charge of our palate cleanser. Mm -hmm. well, I'm you guys want to play D&D, &D, or did you want to play something completely different? Uh, palate cleanser could just mean short, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm very open, actually, on genre. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm happy to do a non-ranger in fifth, <laughs> or... Um, I'm just thinking of systems and stuff. That's all I got. Like, there's a uh, game I got upstairs, the White Wolf games. I got all those books upstairs, and I got. But they're not really. Like, there's some good. I don't think you could do short games with those. They're all super character driven, and mm. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, unless we just had a really strong concept for a, you know, the White Wolf heist <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or something. That's no. really that could be the that could be steal the Argon Boss Fold skull. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I'm not recommending Pathfinder at the moment. I'm just riffing off the fact that Pathfinder does have those introductory adventures that are really only one or two sessions long and designed for new players. Nice and short, really well set up for you. And there's some really great ones in there. That's true. There's that, there's that one with the library that we did that one of your friends wrote, Scott. Was that one of your friends or was that yours? I wrote it. Uh, yeah, oh, a good, good friend yeah. of Scott's uh, yeah. wrote yeah. the library. Himself. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, the overflow. I love that. His one. best friend. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's there's plenty of stuff, and and probably plenty of D and D material that, that serves the same function. Like that's one thing I enjoy doing is is seeking out other material, other modules, and and, and such. So uh, yeah, if you want help finding stuff, then that's no trouble. You like to make your own stuff up, right? Mostly. Uh, yeah. I, I've never followed a, a book mm-hmm. uh, convention before. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to, I used to buy them and then take the maps out of them and then yep. make up my own shit on the maps. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Yep. Grab grab the useful resources. Mm-hmm. My only uh, I uh, motivation in reaching for those Pathfinder modules is that it seems like less work. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's more of just the the flavor of it that I was really trying to grab. Well, that can be really really short, well defined. Mm-hmm. No, I'll tell you what. Like, give me, um, give me a couple of days to listen to some heavy metal and get some inspiration, and see if anything really pops in that I want. <laughs> heavy metal, okay. okay. That's, a, that's a, a genre side, switch. The lyrics will say something like one word, and I'll go. My whole brain, I'll go. Oh, here's a campaign. Skeletons. <laughs> yeah, it's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, are you talking about heavy metal music or heavy metal magazine? Because heavy, heavy metal, metal magazine gives me an entirely different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's some interesting singers. Uh, there's a lot more nipples in heavy metal bands. <laughs> there sure oh, are. a lot more nipples. <laughs> a lot more blood, though, too. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's leave it there, yeah. and we can correspond online. Maybe we'll come up with a palate cleanser before or in the new year, early in the new year, and. I will also. I think. I think what I might do on my own time is uh, some research into Pathfinder 2.0. I'm. I'm just curious to find out how it's been received, how it compares, uh, whether it's worth trying. I've always liked the materials that Pathfinder's written. They're a good uh, company. Yeah. Sure. Well, they're they're a good company to support, and their adventure paths generally pretty meaty stuff. So, if if it's worth trying 2.0, then there might be a storyline already out there in 2.0 that I can build upon. I also have 40 or so adventure paths from first edition that, I, that I never played. Yeah, so I could probably adapt one of those. Yeah, I the the what I have played of Pathfinder, I really enjoyed the the world they created there, yeah. even more than the rule set. They they had a fresh take on fantasy, yeah, uh, and it was it was very refreshing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I it's like the work they've done quite a bit. Uh, so yeah, maybe we'll yeah. veer back in that direction. So sorry, are are we going to correspond from now on, or are you saying we're going to get together on a certain day? I think we will correspond. That sounds good. That makes sense. Do you want to, okay. do you want invites to my Discord server? Oh yes, more than I could possibly say. <laughs> before you before you agree to that, just know it's almost always just Scott sitting in there by himself. Like <laughs> who else is he talking to? That is not I collect true. Discord servers like trophies. Like yes. you know, you know when the predator would, would rip your spine out and decorate that's how I think of discord servers uh-huh. i need more okay more well then maybe uh maybe you can you can give it life uh it's not just me it's me and marty talking about what Oof. movies we're gonna watch movies. for our podcast 
um, mm. on a private channel that nobody else can see. So yeah, yeah, come come to my Discord server. We'll we'll make plans there. Okay, I have okay. a Discord server too. This, you're not special. Do you talk to yourself a lot? Of it? All the time. Oh, man. I talk to? <laughs> but I've got 18 channels to do it. So mm-hmm. very nice, very nice. Thanks, everybody. All right. I thank will, you. Uh, that was a great thank day. you all. Be in touch. Uh, yes. I, I, this felt very satisfying. Right on. Right on. Close it off. Good times. I'll never forgive myself for not having a cool line when I killed Strad. You never. Went, you'll never get another chance. Strad will never be killable again. Oh, I can't Fuck play. you, Strad. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> oh, that's what I can do. That one chapter of the Pathfinder Adventure Path called uh, Rasputin Must Die. Oh, with the machine guns and everything. Yeah, yes, yeah, where you go forward in time and you have to fight. And and if we do that, then you'll have an opportunity to say whatever you were going to say to Strahd. You can say it to Rasputin instead. Right. Okay, done. Yeah, I thought Rasputin was unkillable. You thought Strahd was unkillable. Not like that, don't you guys? He's just a vampire. He's not right. a vampire. There's <laughs> <laughs> not very many pop songs about him. listening and here we are at the very end of the curse of strad podcast it's sad but also a relief because it has taken a while to get all of these episodes out to you but i really wanted to make sure that the story got told and in this latter case that you found out what all of the players feel about the game and i hope you enjoyed it too maybe you have some thoughts that you'd care to share with me about how I DM'd, or uh, how the material itself plays out. And I would love to hear from anyone, of course, but I particularly want to reach out to listeners who have been uh, with me, uh, if not from the beginning, then at least uh, intermittently throughout the whole process. I don't know your names, and I recognize I haven't been much of a you know community-building kind of podcaster here, uh, but I do know where you're from. Uh, my podcast platform stats can tell me uh, which regions, which cities uh, have the uh, reliable listeners, the ones that tune in again and again. And there's a few, and uh, I want to give shouts out to you, and then I want to offer you a gift in uh, repayment for uh, spending your time with us. Uh, the gift is this. I have a ton of Curse of Strahd materials. Specifically, I ordered uh, two special edition versions of the Curse of Strahd, uh, Curse of Strahd Revamped from Wizards of the Coast, and Beetle and Grimm's edition of the Curse of Strahd package. They're both big and fancy. They have extra stuff, uh, extra monsters and art and cards and maps. And I also got Beetle and Grimm's amazing supplements to Ravenloft. That's Van Richten's guide to Ravenloft. And even more cool stuff, monsters and uh, descriptions of all of the different regions uh, beyond Barovia. There's just a ton of cool stuff. And I love it, but it's just going to sit on my shelf from this point forward. So if you are a dedicated listener, and we got to do this on the honor system a bit here, if you have been listening from one of these cities that I'm going to list, and you would like to receive some commemorative official Curse of Strad stuff, uh, supplements, maps, 
all those things I mentioned already, I'm not going to mention them again. Uh, I, I won't be able to issue uh, specific requests for this or that. Uh, I'll just mail you some good stuff. And, uh, you know, in my own time, it's not like I have a ton of it. But rest assured, I'll get to you. Now, if you want to try and game the system, if you're not from one of these places, then you can always email me and claim to be. But then I'm going to ask you for your address, of course. And if it's not from the place I mentioned, then, I don't know, you might have to do some driving or get a friend to pick it up or something. I don't care. It doesn't really matter to me. Anyway, here's the list. And again, if you are from one of these places and you are the human being who's been tuning in, thank you so, so much. Uh, get in touch. Email me at slackandslash at gmail.com. Send me your mailing address and I'll send you some cool stuff. Let's start with, I think, our number one, the listener from Roanoke, Virginia. And I love that because Roanoke is itself a mystery spot, uh, right? It's a famous uh, disappearing act uh, from some colonists. And this is a mystery listener. I have no idea who they are, but I'm pretty sure they've been sticking with it from the very start. So if you want to reach out, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Roanoke, and uh, let me know who you are, then I'll send you some stuff. Same with our listener from Brisbane, Australia, on the other side of the planet. I have uh, one or more dedicated listeners from Frankfurt, Germany, Willkommen, and Dankeschön. Uh, that's all the German I have, but it's all yours. Uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania has got at least one Strahd fan. There's also uh, a couple of places that I never heard of before. Uh, Moscow, Idaho, that's cool. And Davenport, Iowa, which I'm told is a different state from Idaho. So that's also cool. We're learning things. Uh, there is at least one listener in Croatia. And I've noticed that it seems to be coming, you know, from different locations within Croatia. I don't know the geography very well. Maybe it's a bunch of Cro Croatians? Cro Cro Croates? I'm sorry. Uh, let me start again. If you're a listener from Croatia, that's awesome. Reach out to me by email and I'll see if I can mail something to you. Uh, I'd love to try that. And then finally, I know that I have some friends and dedicated listeners uh, from my old stomping grounds, Edmonton, Alberta, and Calgary, Alberta. And if you're one of those, uh, even though I do probably know who you are, you're also included. So send me an email. I'll send you some Strahd stuff. All right? I think that's it. And, oh, uh, you know, don't be a stranger. There are uh, other Slack and Slash podcasts. Well, right now there's just the one. It's called Cinematic Omniverse, and it's me and my friend Marty uh, watching movies, mostly obscure ones, and then uh, stringing out weird theories about them. It's pretty fun. And we may start other uh, podcasts. Uh, as we alluded, we uh, are trying to get another game together with our old buddies, uh, or maybe with some new buddies, and if I can convince them to let me record them, then you will hear it here eventually. So follow us. Uh, through whatever uh, podcast platform you use, and uh, maybe we'll talk and roll some dice again soon. In the meantime, thanks again. Slackandslash at gmail.com. Stay strong and shine bright. Mm -hmm.